seen the wee video there um, just before I started. So I want to start this morning about um, and talk about, there's a story, so it's not real, okay? This is a totally made-up story before we start in case anybody goes away and quotes me and thinks that um, in any way this might be um, a real story and I'm just pretending it's made up, completely made up, right? So there's this man and he went to the doctor, hadn't been feeling too well, very sick. And it wasn't a man flu, it was an actual real, real illness, okay? Nobody's laughing, everybody's watching Paul fixing my speakers and getting rid of the sound. So this man went, and he's very sick, so he went to the doctor, did lots and lots of tests, and um, what they discovered was he was very, very, very ill, so they thought, you know, we'll break it to his wife first before we tell him. So they brought in his wife, and they said, look, your husband's really, 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 really ill. Um, he could die, but... We've got some good news, that's the bad news. So the good news is that we have a whole regime of treatment for him that he can do. But while he's receiving this really strict regime of treatment, you are gonna have to do everything for him, right? You're gonna have to, I mean, absolutely everything. You're gonna have to prepare specifically nutritious meals that are very, this very, very strict diet. The environment that you live in has to be completely germ, as germ-free as you can possibly make it. So this is gonna take up your whole your whole life and your whole time doing this until he recovers. So um, <clears throat> they brought, she went out to her husband and he says, well, and she says, well, basically you're dying because I'm not doing that. <laughs> There's no way I'm doing that, love. So you're just going to have to prepare yourself. And that's, anyway, so I'm glad you found that funny because I thought maybe people wouldn't find it funny. Anyway, that's a bit of a, a silly story, right? But... There is a lot of times that we see a need in someone's life and we look and we think, I'm not doing that. And I'll be honest, sometimes I'm no different. Sometimes I'll look and I'll see a genuine need in someone's life and I'll see something that there's like a gap or there's a something that I could do, but I know it's going to cost me a lot. And I stand back and I think, mm, mm, no, God, please don't ask me to do that. I'm not doing that. I'm too busy. I'm already overcommitted to God. I'm already doing, do you not see what I'm already doing, God? And I start to list off all the things I'm already doing. But in my heart, I'm saying, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And in this Easter series, we're looking at the love of Jesus. We're looking at what does it mean to love like Jesus? What does it mean to love like a man and a son of God who would go to a cross and die a brutal death for us. How do we love like him? How do we begin to even imagine what a love like that looks like? And today I want to look at the image, one of my favorite images of Jesus, and it's the one where he washes the feet of his disciples. So turn with me of your Bibles this morning. We're going to be looking at John 13, um, the first few verses there. Um, and if not, it's going to be on the slides behind me but it might be helpful just to keep it open. I'm not going to be jumping around scriptures this morning. This is going to be our only text that we look at. So John 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus' whole life had been leading to this one point. His whole life was leading up to this, this one point. This, this, it was like everything. It was like all the paths 
were diverging and coming together and his life had led, was leading to this one point where he was going to give his life. And I mean, when I think about that, you think, what, what was the internal anxiety and the thinking and, and all that going on in God? And Jesus, and maybe he didn't, maybe he was never anxious because he knew who he was, didn't he? He knew he was, he was the son, so maybe he never experienced anxiety. I'm trying to put my mind on that and what it would be like for me, but everything is leading to this moment. For sure, we know there's a sense of urgency. As you read through the Gospels and it gets closer to the cross, you can sense this urgency in Jesus of my time is coming to an end here on this earth. And it's the day before the crucifixion. And you can, you know, we can't really imagine the emotions that he must have been feeling sitting in this room, gathered all the people that he loved and had journeyed with him in his last three years of his ministry, and they're in the room with him. And the text goes on to say, having loved his own who were in the world, what does it say? He loved him to the end. Say that with me. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the very end. Right to the very end, to the very last moment, right to the moment of even in this moment of knowing what was coming the next day, knowing what the next 24 hours held for him, he loved them right to the very end. And in verse 2 it says, The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And let's just for a moment have, just think about what's going on here. Jesus is about to give his life. And if you want to look back at his week, it was an incredibly difficult week. On Monday, he cleansed the temple. On that Monday, he went in and he cleared out the temple. He turned over the tables and he said, you will not turn my father's house into a place of profit. This will be a house of worship. On Tuesday, he had a massive fight with religious leaders. Wednesday, we're not quite sure what he did. And then now this is Thursday night. And he's gathered in this secret room with his closest friends, ready to give them his final words. He's about to share with them the body and the blood, the bread and the wine, and this historic, heartfelt moment. And even in that moment, in that moment of anguish, of, um, of also feeling like everything's coming together, now we're getting to the crux of this. This is the whole reason I was brought to this earth. Everything is coming together now in this next 24 hours. And in this moment, he knows that one of his beloved, one of these people in his group, they are actually going to be the one to betray him. And as he sits there in the middle of this highly emotional, highly charged moment, Knowing that he's going to be betrayed, knowing that he's going to hang on a cross, knowing all of that, a fight breaks out among his disciples. You nearly can't believe it. They're acting like two-year-olds. Who's the greatest Jesus? Who's going to be the greatest in, in this kingdom? This fight breaks out of, you know, I, I don't know if any of you are who are parents and have more than one child. We have a, a saying in our house that to compliment one is not to criticize another. Because sometimes it's like if, you know, one of them wins a certificate, especially when they were younger at primary school, and you're like, you did so well. And the other two would be going, well, I, I did really well last week. I'm like, yeah, and we said you did really well last week. You know, to say, to celebrate one is not to say, to criticize in any way the other ones. But these disciples are full on fight breaks out. 
who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Because they must have sensed that they were coming to this, everything that they had been journeying with Jesus, it was all coming to a climax. And even though they'd heard his teachings, even though they'd seen him um, spring the kingdom, seen deaf ears open and blind eyes seeing and all those things, even in this moment, they're still thinking, oh, this new kingdom, what's my position going to be? I wonder who will be the I wonder who will be the top dog in this new kingdom. And you can imagine John, he's sitting quite smug. Well, he loved me. I'm the disciple that Jesus said that he loves. And Peter, will you imagine Peter? He was always quite brash, wasn't he? Well, I walked on, on water, guys. All the rest of you were still in the boat. Do you remember? You weren't too brave that day. You were all sitting in the boat, and I'm the one who got out. I'm the one that got out and walked in the water. And somebody else pips up and says, yeah, but then you start to sink, Peter. Like, I mean, come on, not that big a deal. And they're all jockeying for position, and they're all telling their stories, and they're all putting in there. But, and in the middle of all this, Jesus is sitting, and he's thinking, I, I have got this one last moment with you lads. And he looks... And you can imagine Jesus looking around the table at them. And I don't know if he shook his head. Maybe he wasn't like an Irish mommy. And if he was an Irish mommy, he probably would have took out the tea towel and give them a odd wee slap along the back of the legs. <laughs> but I imagine that Jesus may have been remembering the words that he'd already spoken to them. And we have the record of it in Matthew's Gospel. And he says, the greatest is the one who will be your servant. Jesus had told them, I do not come to be served by others, but I came to serve you, to lay down my life as a ransom for many. And what he sees as he looks around this room and around this table with this most beloved band of people, he sees proud hearts, but he also sees dirty feet. He looks around the room at his final meal with his closest friends, and he sees proud hearts, and he sees dirty feet. Jesus thinks to himself, well, I have tried to tell them. I have taught them. If they're still not getting it, I'm not sure what many more words I can say for them to get it, but I can wash their feet. And in verse 4 it says, And he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to do what? He washed their feet. He washed their feet. Jesus so easily in that moment could have said, I'm not doing that. He could have given them a lecture. I would have given them a lecture. I'm hands up, that's what I would have done. He could have pointed out their pride in their hearts. He could have done any of that, but... He didn't. He took the towel, wrapped it around him, and he washed their feet. And why did he wash their feet? Well, in those days, and I'm sure any time maybe some of you have heard this story often before, that you'll know that it was a common courtesy in, in a Middle Eastern home at that time that someone came to your house, um, you would have, it was a very common courtesy to wash their feet. So a wee bit like us, you know, someone comes to my house, well, sometimes I have to clear a wee path for them in the hallway, 
because everyone that comes into our house, including Jason and I, we leave down our bags, we take off our shoes, we open posts, leave it all around there. So sometimes I may have to clear a path for you to get in through the front door. But if you get in the front door, I may then offer to take your coat, if you have a coat. And before you get your bum sat down on a sofa, I will definitely have offered you a cup of tea or coffee. That's the kind of norm. And that's our, our culture here, isn't it? But in Jesus' time, the first thing that they would do is when you came to the door, you'd be greeted with a kiss. You may also get a hug in our house, although I have to say, in our home, there's very definite huggers and non-huggers. You can decide for yourself, or you can try and hug either Jason and I, and you'll be able to work it out very quickly who's a hugger and who's not a hugger. You may have already had that moment of awkwardness. And I may have tried to hug you, and you're not a hugger, and you've had that awkwardness too, so yeah, you know, it's one of those things. But in Jesus' time, they would have given a kiss on the cheek, and the second thing would have been, would you like your feet washed? Now, it's important to note here that the host would never have been the person to wash the feet, right? So the host is not saying, take off your sandals there, I'm going to wash your feet. What the host is saying is, I'm actually a person of great importance, and I have a, a person who washes your feet. And they would have got someone to come and wash, wash the feet. Who has a wee bit of a feet phobia in here? Only one person is, is actually really... I don't really like feet. I'm not really, yeah. I really admire beauticians and all who do that for a living, you know, like do pedicures and all, or, or people who do it more seriously, podiatrists, not just to make our feet look lovely, but actually have a job where it's important to look after our feet. But in this moment, Jesus, it's the final meal, it's the final moment, it's all this anticipation, it's all this urgency, it's all happening in the room. And in this moment, he looks around and he sees their proud hearts, but he sees their dirty feet and he takes on the slave's apron. He picks up a bucket, he fills it with water, and as he does it, everyone's thinking, oh no, 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 Jesus, no, 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 Jesus, no, no, you, you. and they're thinking, he can't be doing that. He can't. Like one minute, they're having this full-scale row about who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom. The next minute, they're like absolutely aghast. He cannot be going to do this. And I was trying to think of a scenario that would help us kind of weigh this up. Because even in their humanity, there was this realization in the disciples. And so often they got it wrong, but they did. They knew he was the son of God. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? Who do you say I am? And, and there would be these moments of revelation for them and realization that he was the son of God. And it would be a wee bit like if the queen came to your house and asked to clean your toilets. Only it's even worse than that. It's even bigger than that. But could you imagine that scenario? So Jesus in this moment is saying, here's Jesus, the son of God, the lamb of God, the prince of peace, the Messiah that these men had been waiting for as young Jewish boys. They had been longing for their Messiah to come. And here he is. Here he is, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is stooping down right now in this moment. He sees a need. He sees their dirty feet. And more than that, he sees that they need to know that they know that they know that he's a servant. Jesus looks and he says, their feet are dirty. I can do that. Jesus loved them to the end by doing something that everybody else in that room thought was too low to be done. Not one of the disciples looked at the dirty feet and thought, oh, I'll do that. I'll wash. You know, Peter didn't look and go, oh, my goodness, John's feet are bogging. 
I need to give them a wee wash. Because they were jockeying for a position. They were too busy arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Only Jesus saw the need, and not only that, stepped in to do it. He knelt down, and he washed their feet. The rest of them thought they were too important. That's too beneath me. And here's the king of kings stepping into that moment and doing the unthinkable. I don't know about you, but this is something I need to train myself to do. Because I'm like the disciples in this story. I would love to say I'm like Jesus in the story. I am not like Jesus in this story. I'm the one who's sitting thinking, somebody else is going to clean their feet. But I'd be thinking, now, who organized this dinner? And why did they not get a feet washer sorted out for us all coming in? Because that would have been a normal kind of thing. But not in my head would I be thinking that it might be my job or that I could do that or I should do that. And more and more, the older I get and the longer that I serve Jesus and love him and try to follow him and be like him, I'm really trying to open my eyes to see the needs all around me that I would otherwise overlook. And my prayer is, God, would you give me ears to hear those who are hurting? Would you give me a heart to care even more? And God, I'm asking them that if there's a need I can meet, would you cause me to pause and stop and say, okay, God, what is my assignment today? What is it you want me to do? Where is it you want me to step into? Where do you want me to get my hands dirty? Where do you want me to, to step in when it'd be so easy to say, oh, that's someone else's job, or I'm too busy, or that's too complicated, that's too messy, I'm not getting involved in that situation. But I'm learning and trying and leaning into God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? I want to begin to say, God, this one's mine. This one's mine. And this is what happens when we begin to do this. We get outside of ourselves. We have eyes to see. We have ears to hear. We get hearts to care. And we're, we're going to find the opportunities. And suddenly you're like, you know what? I can do that. I can do that. This one's mine. You're going to see your friend is maybe moving house or there's something going on and they're just so overwhelmed with, with stuff happening. And you think, well, actually, you know, I could go and I could help them pack boxes. And then the other part of your brain, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, but my to-do list, I have more my word. Like, I mean, there's so much stuff I need to do. But instead of that, we think, no, do you know what? This one's mine. I'm, I'm volunteering. I'm taking this. I'm going to step in and I'm going to do this for my friend. Or sometimes we just see someone's life and it is in, it's like a car crash waiting to happen. And there's a crisis after crisis after crisis. And everything within you says, don't go there. Don't go there. Just stay. Just stay out of it. Just stay out of it. That's the sensible thing. That's the wise thing. What would wisdom say? This is my default. I'm talking to my own self here. What would wisdom do? Wisdom would just step back and not get involved. But I'll tell you what love would do. Love would step in. Love would lean in. Jesus would lean in. And sometimes, you know, it's like you could be in here and you're seeing the bins overflowing or whatever and you're thinking someone else will do that. Do it. Empty the bin. Empty the bin. Or sometimes Cheryl gets up here and, and Cheryl's needing help with the crash or the baby vines or whatever and you're thinking, you know what? I've had babies before. 
Or maybe I haven't had them, but I've looked after babies before. I've looked after my nieces or my nephews and or whatever. I think I could do that. I'm sure it could be that difficult to hang out with kids and play with them and sort of entertain them for a while while Jason talks too long. I'm sure that wouldn't be too difficult. I can do that. This one's mine. I'm going to do that one. I've got eyes to see because the greatest one is the one who serves. You know, you don't need someone to Instagram shot you serving. For those of you who don't have Instagram, I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain what that is, but Facebook, you know, we live in this social media world of Facebook and Instagram, and it's like we serve and then we hashtag, and we're like, honor to serve. <laughs> is that one of your bugbears, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. You know, and, and yes, you know what, there's something about telling their story, and I think, and, and there's a part of me as well that I love telling other people's story of when they serve. You know, I love it when we put up our photographs of Give It Aid to Dungannon, and we're celebrating what you guys have done in our community, and washing the feet of this community and serving them. But that's a very different thing than whenever we're like, okay, well, I've done this, so it needs to be up there on social media so everyone sees. You see, when we're serving with the right heart, we don't care if we're appreciated. We don't care if anyone else sees it. We are doing it because we know we're following in the steps of Jesus. We're doing what he would do. You see, serving is not what I do or what you do. Servant, a servant is who I am. There's a very different thing in that, isn't it? I want us to say that together. Servant's not what I do. A servant is who I am. And it's all about our attitude. It's all about our attitude. It's about an attitude, you know, I was created and gifted by God, and I get to show the love of Jesus today. It's getting up with that attitude. It's not the, well, I have to do this because Jesus says so, or they're looking more volunteers in Vineyard, they're always looking more volunteers, and they're always trying to get us to do more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. And I should do it. It's not about that. There's no shoulds in having a servant's heart. Because it's not about what we do, it's about who we are. It's about who we are. It's the attitude. It's, you know, one of the... Um, I love that we Nicole, you forgot about her this morning, very bad of you, Pastor Jason, we Nicole's out there with Nigel and Paula. And I think every single, in fact, every time Nigel and Paula have been to Cali, we Nicole has been there with them. And I have, pe I have had people with the best intentions in the world saying, you know, oh, she's very small to be out there. You know, is that not a dangerous place out there? And she's way out there. Honestly, if you saw that wee girl out there and how she loves and how she serves and how she gets stuck in, and, and actually what Nigel and Paula are modeling to her, their hearts of service and their hearts of love, my goodness, no money, could, no money could pay that for your child. No amount of sending them to things and different things could pour that into their child. They get to see their parents be servants to the, the low, uh, in the world's eyes, not in ours. In the world's eyes, the loss of the low. And I don't think we can give parents, we cannot give our kids any greater gift than number one, showing them that we have hearts of servants and giving them an opportunity to serve and become servants too. There's no greater gift we can give them. Our poor boys, now that they're young adults, 
regularly talk about how much they've been trailed along to church things all their life. And they do that in jest most of the time because actually one of the greatest joys for Jason and I is watching how all that serving, all that turning up, all that showing up even when they really didn't want to has done something in their hearts in such a deep way. They are not perfect, my boys, by any stretch of the imagination. I would be the first to tell them, as they will tell you. But they are kind, they are compassionate, and if they see a need, most times, not all of them, they'll jump to it. There's no greater thing than we can do, guys, but there's, two, there's a two-step thing in this. They need to see us do it. They need to see us do it. And it's exactly the same thing with baby Christians, if we want to take this on a wider scale. As people come in to faith and become full in love with Jesus and discover what it is to be a follower of his, we all, as bigger brothers and sisters in the kingdom, we need to model to them what it looks like to be a servant, not just to serve. And it begins in our hearts. It begins in our hearts. See, every now and again, we have conversations as pastors and not with, not with so much people in our church, but more people who are looking for another church or maybe thinking about moving here from a different place. And you may have conversations about, well, what, are your, what does your church do? But that's not really the question. Mostly the question is, what does your church do for me? How can my needs be met in Vineyard Church in Gannon? And as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, I have to really bite my tongue. And I'm thinking, first of all, first of all, this is completely upside down because you don't come to church to get your needs met. We are the church and we meet the needs of other people. That's who we are. I'm going to say that again. We are the church and we meet the needs of other people. You know, therefore, if this is your church and this is where you worship and this is where you go, if you're not using your gifts, guess what? You're selling yourself way short of what Paul talks about, about being the body of Christ. You see, every one of us have gifts. And I know for some of you, life has beaten you down so much. People have, have bullied you and, and, and ridiculed you and criticized you so much that you are sitting on a chair this morning feeling that you have nothing to give. That is a lie. That is an absolute lie. Every single one of us made in the image of God has gifts and abilities and talents and something that we can give away. Every single one of us, every person. Our job is to build you up and encourage you and give as our job, I mean, not Jason and I, I mean, as a church family, our job is to speak health and love and life over you so that you can begin to believe in yourself again and you can give away what God has given you. That's who we are. When you serve others, this is what happens. God changes lives. But the very first life that gets changed is yours. Time and time again, I see this. When you serve others, God changes lives. And the first one he changes is you. The first one he changes is yours. What do you get when we serve? What do we get when we pick up the servant's towel? fill the bucket of water. What do we get? We get the thrill of partnering with God. We get the thrill of partnering with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We sit and we think, I've just listened to someone 
I've prayed for them, and I can see it made a difference. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I made a difference today. Or it might be that, you know what, I took time out of my schedule, and I really prayed for someone today who I know was in need. I got that prayer partner text message blipped into my phone, and instead of just reading it quickly, sometimes like I do, and just go, dear Lord Jesus, bless them. I've taken time. I've actually prayed for that person or someone else in your life group or someone else in your family or somebody in your workplace and you've set aside time and at the end of the day you're thinking, God, I am so glad I got to partner with you. That small sacrifice for me has been so life-given. For those of you who are school teachers, first of all, you are amazing. Hands up, school teachers in the room. Come on, don't be shy. Paula Kelly, put your hand up. All the school teachers in the room. You guys are amazing. Honestly, you're amazing. But you're more than school teachers. You are more than school teachers. Because here's what I know about you guys. You are praying for the children, not just in your classroom, but you're praying for your schools. You know, and that, that you're partnering in that. Don't take, just don't think about that and think, Oh, well, that's just me being a good Christian and doing my job. That is you partnering with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to see life and change brought to the children that are in your classrooms. Or maybe you work in a factory. And you're working in your factory. And you're a witness on the, on the factory floor. Because every time you do your job to the absolute excellence, not to please your boss, but because that's what God would want you to do, and that when you get an opportunity that you get to share your faith, that maybe you're the one on the factory floor that all the other younger guys come up to and are asking for advice and for wisdom. And they're maybe not asking you about Jesus, but they could be asking you about, how do I, how do I make my money work every month? I get to the last week of the month and I have no money left. Can you tell me, is that the same with you? How do you do that? And you get to give them wisdom and you get to give them the benefit of your experience. That is you serving and being a servant. You see that? That's you loving people, Jesus, every single day. Serving is not just what we do. A servant is who we are. And you know, when you have had a day where somewhere along the line, God has interrupted your day, and it's usually at the most inconvenient times, let's be honest. I don't know about you, but when God interrupts my day, it's usually at, like, I... Sometimes I think, Jesus, could we not have worked this out this morning when I was looking at my schedule? You know, I had a space. I had a space between 11 and 11.30. Could we not have, like, could you not have worked it in there instead of when I'm up to my eyes and I'm frantic and I'm already in really bad mood because I've had to work with Jason all day and whatever. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> and now you bring me this opportunity, and this is the worst time possible. Now I have to rearrange everything and do all this other stuff. But yet at the same time, when, on those days where I see and I hear and I, and I reach out and I say, you know what, this one's mine. When I put my head down in the pillow that night, I never regret it. I never regret it. You know, every time. Because we want to be a servant like how he's a servant. And here's what happens. It'll change those around you, you'll start to see people differently because you're different. It'll change your marriage. You will start serving your spouse. 
And can I speak to the married people in the room just for a moment? And I'm not excluding everyone else, but I just feel this is from the Lord. We need to stop, and I'm talking to myself, we need to stop this, I'll do this for you if you do this for me attitude. The first place that we begin to serve like Jesus served is in our families, before anywhere else. We serve one another. We outdo each other in love and in service to one another. If we want marriages that are thriving, if we want marriages that are God-honoring, that's what we do. It should be the most unselfish environment in our lives. I am challenged with that. Jason's laughing. He's going, yeah, he should be. <laughs> Just after my birthday week where he's been serving me all week. You know, serve, serve in your friendships. If you, want your, if you want your friendships to change, start serving. Serve your friends. If you want to see a change in this community, if you want to see a change in this town, if you get frustrated by things and think, oh, Dungannon. If you, you know, instead of talking negatively, instead of just being down on it, serve. What if we really served our community? What if give a day to Dungannon was not one day of the year? What if that's just what we did? You know, what if we just cleaned the road signs and we didn't need to have a give a day to Dungannon we have his vest on at the time? What if we just drove past and thought, oh, flip, that's a bit dirty. I'm going back to the house to get a bucket and a sponge and I'm going to clean the sign. It would change our community, but it would also change us. You see, there's just something about this whole idea of serving and this whole idea, and I love it. I just love that Jesus looked around that room and he saw proud hearts and dirty feet. And what was the bit he could change right there and right now in that moment? He could wash the dirty feet. And I think there's a lesson for us in your church. There's a lesson for us that sometimes we look around and what we see is the proud hearts or we see the heart stuff and we think, I can't change that. I, I, I have no responsibility over that. I actually can't change that. And then we see the next part of it. We see the more mundane or the more menial bit of it and we think, oh, I but I'm not. No, that's not for me. How about we just jumped in and we said, I've got this, Jesus. This one's mine. Because so often in washing the feet, the hearts are changed. You can guarantee that for the rest of the disciples' life and the, the, rest, of the, the rest of the time that those people had left on this earth, they would never have forgotten that moment when Jesus washed their feet. That changed them forever. And when you read through early church history and you see the lives that those men and women went on to live, those men that night, but other the women as well in Jesus' circle, the lives that they went on to live, they lived lives of servants for the rest of their life. We want to have eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see, eyes to hear, and a heart to care. We want to see needs. And we want to say, this one's mine. This one's mine. 